I resonated with Pastor Brent when he was talking about uh, what it was like to be in the Midwest when it's cold and all of that. I'm happy to report that my friends and family back in uh, the, the um, Midwest, they've all survived the po polar vortex. <laughs> they all made it, you know. But uh, it's true. My, my daughter um, in so southern Michigan uh, works for the school system. Uh, they canceled school every single day last week. They just all stayed home. It was too cold. Got too much snow. And uh, I kind of like it, you know, this, this morning. I, my wife was here uh, first service, had some pain in her leg coming back, so I took her home, and I'm out there driving on the road. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. You know what? And I was just about to say, it feels great. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of cool. I'm starting to adapt to this whole Alaska thing. And, you know, so I may not look like it, but uh, having a good time up here. And I enjoy being uh, in the community and, of course, in the church and getting to know uh, some of you. Uh, it's uh, very nice. So, hey, I hope that you've been enjoying the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 today. Uh, I don't know what you've learned about Jonah, um, but uh, maybe you've learned he's a, uh, a whale of a preacher that went overboard in his ministry. It's okay. They didn't laugh in the first service either. It's all right. I'm getting used to it. But so here we go. Now, Jonah chapter 1, we saw that he ran from God. Jonah 2, he ran to God. Oh, God, help me. I'm going to die. Last week, chapter 3, he ran with God. And now here in chapter 4, the amazing story continues and wraps up, but we see that he is going to run ahead of God. One of the things that I've been pointing out as we worked our way through this incredible book uh, is the, the deep levels of irony that we find in, in the book. And uh, really, it, it's just about everywhere, everywhere you look. God says to Jonah, go there, and Jonah goes there. Um, the irony of when the boat is out there on the sea bouncing up and down, that uh, the pagan sailors, they're all pray, praying, and the prophet of God uh, is like, nope, I'm, I ain't praying. Uh, and maybe the height of irony last week when Jonah uh, obeys the second call of God and goes to Nineveh, and he preaches what might be the shortest sermon ever recorded, and 120,000 people turn and come to God. Now, that's pretty ironic, at least it is in my book. So it kind of continues here in chapter 4. Let's take a look, and let's see what God has to say to us in this fourth chapter. So I want to begin reading in Jonah 4. I want to read the first four verses this morning. So reading from Jonah 4, 1... But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? I told you so, God. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Atta boy, Jonah. 
But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? So here in the opening verses of chapter 4, Jonah is thinking about how God has relented and has spared the lives of every single one of the 120,000 people in that wicked city of Nineveh. Jonah's thinking about it, and he gets mad. (laughs) He's angry. I had a little bit of irony there, because wouldn't you assume the prophet of God would be like, oh, I... I care about these people. I love these people. I'm concerned about these people. No, he's he's mad. In fact, he's so mad, as the text says. He looks to God and says, God, just kill me now. (laughs) I'm just boggled by this story. And this turn of events really bothers me. And so then God looks to Jonah and says, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? It's a great question. Now we go to verses 5 to 9. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided, there's the word, the phrase again, the Lord provided. The Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn, the next day, God provided, the Lord provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he, so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And the text doesn't say it, but in my mind, he stomps his foot and says, I do. <laughs> I, I, I do. I am angry enough to die. Now, this just might be the most, one of the most interesting sections in the entire Old Testament. I, I'm fascinated by these verses and to see what, what's taking place and this turn of events. So here is Jonah. He's decided he's going to take matters into his own hands. And so he goes outside of the city, east of the city. And we're not, we're not told this, but in my mind, it, east of the city is up on a hill. And so he goes out there, and he goes up on a hill, and he constructs what can only be called a pouting booth. I mean, what else can you call it? And so he goes out there, and he's waiting to see what God's going to do. What does he think God's going to do? I mean, they've all, they've all turned, you know, the, the sackcloth thing, and all the animals are in sackcloth, and they've all repented. But Jonah, he's going to go up on the hillside, build himself a little pouting shed, and sit there and wait and see what God's going to do. You know what he's hoping God's going to do, right? Right? 
because he's mad. He's ticked off. He's upset that God has shown grace and spared the lives of these enemies of Israel. In fact, that's what he actually just comes out and says it. I told you, God, that that's what you would do because that's the kind of God you are. Yeah, and so, so here he is. He's, he's all mad. And so, but when he's out there in his little pouting booth up on top of the hill waiting for God to send the lightning bolt, bam, to 120,000 people, uh, he gets a little hot. Somebody turned the thermostat too high. And so God, out of his love and compassion, miraculously causes a vine to grow. So this vine grows up, and it gives shade to the pouty booth. And it eases the discomfort that Jonah is having. And the text says, Jonah is very, very happy about the vine. Well, Jonah, isn't that swell? He's very happy about the vine. So do you have the picture? I hope that you do. He's upset that God has extended grace to the sworn enemies of Israel. He's gone out east of the city. He's built a pouty booth. He's sitting there waiting for God to send the lightning bolts to 120,000 people and fry them, and he gets a little warm. And so God, out of his love and compassion, sends this vine. The vine grows up, and Jonah's very happy about the vine. And there he sits. But the so ironic that God then sends a worm. Remember a couple of weeks ago, the first, but the Lord provided. God came and intervened in his life in several different ways. It's happening again. And now God sends a worm. And so we've gone from wind to well to worm. God intervening in his life. And so now the vine uh, dies and the sun is beating down on the roof of the pouty house, and now Jonah is frying, not the Ninevites. And, and you're laughing, and you probably should be, because some Old Testament Bible scholars suggest that this was written uh, with the idea of, of comedy. It's, it's so incredulous. The irony is, runs thick and deep. I mean, who, who, can, who can believe this stuff? Jonah is all upset. And so then God says, again, Jonah, do you have any right to be uh, angry? And stomps his foot. Yes, I do. So bad I could die. Well, all righty. Verses 10 to 11, the last two verses of chapter 4 and the entire book. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and the cattle aren't bright either. I paraphrase that part. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So God is calling Jonah out. Hey, hey, Jonah, 
Remember, that vine came because of my grace, because of my love for you. You didn't do a single thing. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't water the seed. Nothing. I just concerned about you. You see, Jonah wants God to give him grace. God, you killed my vine. What are you thinking? He wants God to give him grace, but he wants God to send the lightning bolt to the Ninevites. I'm like, really? Um, He wants God to help him, but he's not happy if God helps the bad guys. And, by the way, I noticed something this week that I've never seen before in the book of Jonah. And it's, it's in verse 10 where it says, But the Lord said to Jonah, You have been concerned about this vine. I was startled to see that in the original Hebrew, the word that has been translated here, concerned, a perfectly acceptable translation of that Hebrew word that here is concerned is the word compassion. Jonah, you have compassion on a vine. But what about the Ninevites? You're in love with this vine. But you want want me to zap the Ninevites? You're sitting here waiting to see what I'm going to do? It's just just incredible to me. And then, the very last sentence in the entire book. Did you notice that the book ends with a question? It's the only book in the entire Bible that ends with a question. It's the only book. And the question is this, from God to Jonah. Should I not be concerned about that great city? You know, I read this fourth chapter of Jonah, and in some respects, it reminds me of some churches and some church people. Not not every church and not every church person, but it reminds me of, of some churches and some church people. Every church I've ever been at professes to have a desire to reach the people that are that are lost, but the truth of the matter is. When it comes right down to it, they're really not too interested, some of them at least. When I was a traditional senior pastor, I'd gone to several churches to interview and candidate and all that kind of thing. I think almost every church I've ever interviewed at, I asked the question of the leadership team. Are you really interested? Is this church really interested in letting lost people know that God loves them. And it makes them mad if you ask them straight out because they're insulted. Well, of course. (laughs) Of course we care about reaching the people that, that have turned their back on God and they sit there and stare at you like you've all of a sudden grown a, a, a great big horn out of the center of your forehead or something. They're they're insulted. How how dare you ask us that? I asked that question at one church one time. 
And they begin to talk about how they wanted to reach the community, and they were especially concerned about their youth program. On a good day, they had, they had uh, like five kids, teens, in their youth group. And they were like, oh, pastor, if you come, we want you to make your highest priority to build, rebuild the youth group, and we care about teenagers. We need to reach the teenagers in our community. So I did go to that church, and after uh, several weeks, I hired a youth pastor. And he came in, and by the way, the church was right in the middle of a small town, and so kids could walk to church. I mean, there were a lot of kids that just lived blocks away. And within three months, the youth pastor was starting to run a hundred every Wednesday night in youth group. Man, and I, man, I was, I was excited. I was thrilled. But guess what? A lot of people got mad. What you say? Well, really? Why? Why in the world did they get mad? Well, it's because when you have a hundred teenagers running through your church, your carpet gets dirty. On a Sunday morning, a teenage boy came to worship, maybe for the first time ever in his life, 16 years old, and he came in, he sat right down the third row back, down by the aisle, had a baseball cap on. Right before the service started, a retired preacher that was part of the congregation got up and walked down tapped that 16-year-old boy who had never been in church before, tapped him on the shoulder and said, take off your cap. We don't do that in church. I'm like, really? What, what, one night, <laughs> things in the youth group got a little out of hand. And there was a kerfuffle. Is that an Alaskan word? You know that word? Kerfuffle? There was a scuffle, a fight. You know that word? You got that word. Yeah, you got that word. So there was a fight out in the parking lot, and these teens were beating up on on each other and screaming and cussing, and I mean, they're they're just going at it. Had to call the cops. The word was out in that little town that something was happening in that church. And so, so you had these saints of the church. They were, they were all mad, and, and they were all upset. And I thought back to my question in the interview process, do you really, really want to reach people that are outside the church and outside the church culture? Do you really want to reach Nineveh? Do, I mean, if you say you do, do you, do you know what you're asking for? Because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, when you dare to reach out and let the Ninevites know that there is a God that loves them, sometimes it can get messy. Some, sometimes it, 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 it's, it's costly. Your, your carpet might get dirty, and it might be hard to park in the parking lot. Someone might sit in your seat. Oh, wait, hey, let me just tell you, I, I went to one church as an interim guy, and my first Sunday there, nobody knew me. 
because I just got rolled into town. Maybe two or three people knew me. I rolled into town, and there's a big sanctuary. I think it, it would seat five or 600 people. And it was built like, an amp, like a Roman amphitheater thing. And I think that's so that people could sit there and listen to the preacher preach, and they could go. <laughs> I think that's what it was. So I, walk, I walked in, and my, they, they used to run four and 500. I walked in this great big, huge sanctuary, and by the time I got there, they were running 70 on a good day. Imagine all the empty seats. So I come down, and I sit right about here. And again, nobody really knows me. And right before the service, somebody taps me on the shoulder. Hey, you're sitting in Bill's seat. Well, pardon me. So I got, I got up and moved. Of course, there are 450 empty chairs all around me. I was sitting in his seat. So when you begin to reach the Ninevites, it, it, might, it might get uncomfortable, like it, like it was for Jonah. It, it, here's, what, here's what Jonah had to learn. He had to learn that God cares more about lost people than the comfort of his saints. Now, he cares about his saints. He loves his children, and he loves church folk. But God wants people to know that he loves them. And if it makes Jonah uncomfortable... And if it makes church people uncomfortable, then guess what? God's going to do it anyhow. Now, I want to hurry on and say that I've stood in front of a lot of different churches and body, body of believers. And I think Birch Ridge does this as well as any church I've ever been a part of. And I mean it sincerely. That you guys, you guys have a lot of that figured out. That it's it's about letting people know that God loves them. And I and I, I applaud you for that. But it may be that we need to be reminded of that. That that's the main thing. It's for the body of Christ to be out there and and let people know that God loves them. You'll notice that in the Gospels, when Jesus began to personally invite followers to come, he didn't say, come, follow me, build a clubhouse, and have potlucks. I don't think it said that. In fact, Luke 9.23 is kind of eye-popping if you stop and think about it where Jesus calls some disciples and he says, if you want to come after me and follow me, you've got to pick up your cross every day and let's go. It's the road of suffering. It's the road of inconvenience. It's the road of being pushed out of your comfort zone. And Jonah reminds us of that. 
I think somewhere along the line, some church folk, people have gotten the idea that yes, that we're going to do the Great Commission, but only if it doesn't inconvenience us. <laughs> if it doesn't put me out. If I don't have to go out of the way. If I don't have to be stepping out of my comfort zone. Yes, let's, let's reach the lost. And we, we hope our neighbor's doing it. In church, the guy next to us in church is doing it, but so we don't have to. But there's Jonah, the prophet of God, and he's squirming, and he's like, oh, God, how could you show mercy to those people? And he's waiting for the lightning strike to incinerate all those people. Here he is worried about the thermostat being a little too hot. I don't know how that strikes you, but I'm like, wow, that's just kind of weird. But here's the truth. God is going to somehow let people know that he loves them with or without me or you. And we might as well just all choose to get on board. <laughs> we might as well all just say, sign me up for that. That's what I want. I want to be part of this great plan to let people know that God loves them and that they can have a relationship with Him. And now, this weird question here at the end. Again, the only book in the Bible that ends with a question should I not be concerned about that great city? And I used to really think long and hard about why does the book end with a question? I mean, why doesn't it say, Jonah, you're an idiot and you ought to love people, so go love people? But it's the question. And I finally, I finally figured it out, in fact, not too many years ago, it dawned on me that the book of Jonah ends with a question so that everyone who hears the story is forced to answer the question for themselves. <laughs> so now it's time to do that. And think about yourself. And I'm going to think about myself. And the question that the book of Jonah lays on the table and the question that I'm raising up and pointing you to this morning is this. It's that wonderful word, these wonderful words of God. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Should God not be concerned about the city of Soldatna? Should God not be concerned about the drug addicts and those who make meth in the community? Should God not be concerned about the prostitutes, the bad guys, the robbers, or the church gossipers? <laughs> not that there's any here, though. I don't know. 
haven't been here long enough. Shouldn't God be concerned about those people that need to know that he loves them? And the answer is yes. Yes. And again, I'm convinced your church has got it figured out. Because you do more out there in the community than any other church I've ever been a part of. And, I, and I'm, again, I'm honored to be here. So I'm not doing this to the church. But I'm, I'm just simply raising the question that God raises at the end of the book. What about you? <laughs> what about me? Am I willing to be inconvenienced to let somebody know that God loves them? Am I willing to pay a price, whatever that might be? Lose my parking spot out there? Lose my seat at at church? Give somebody money that needs some financial help? Am I willing to get my hands dirty? To let people know there is a God that loves them. It's a hard question, but it deserves an honest answer. Stand with me and let me pray. Father, I confess, I need the story of Jonah. I need to be reminded that you care about the Ninevites. I need to be reminded that I need to show your love even when it is inconvenient to me. I thank you for every person that's here this morning. They're here because they love you. They're here because they care. And I I just pray that today and this week that you might bring this question back to each of our minds again and again and again. Ask us, Father, if we care. Challenge us. Not with just words, but I pray that you would put somebody in need in front of our lives this week so that we can demonstrate your love and grace maybe into the lives of people that don't even think you exist. May we be honored to be inconvenienced to show your love to those around us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.